hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey, welcome to the Pool Player Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Ryan. This is brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Guys, uh, let's really crank up that YouTube algorithm. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit the like button, uh, share it. Uh, please subscribe and hit the notifications. And most importantly, leave some comments. Uh, I want to get better at this. I want to ask the right questions. So I'd love to hear what you think about the podcast and maybe ways that I could get better. So today we have with us a, a really a legend uh, in the sport of pool. And uh, he's the 1996 U.S. Open nine ball champion, uh, 2013 U.S. Open 10 ball champion. He's had 10 Moscone Cup appearances, including 2004 MVP of the Moscone Cup. He's won a couple Reno Opens, the 2003 World Pool League, 2008 World Cup of Pool, numerous seminal tour victories, uh, Turning Stone Classic. I mean, he's won it all. I'd like to welcome to the show Rodney Morris. Hey, Rodney, how's it going? Hey, what's up, guys? How you guys doing? <laughs> Ronnie, tell us how you got started playing pool. Uh, well, the reason why I got started is for the girls. So, I mean, isn't that the that, isn't that why every every man starts something, right? I mean, that's the, that's the only reason. No, I mean, you know, to be to be uh, you know completely frank here, um, I walked into the pool room and I literally saw uh, a guy sitting there, tall. He's a, a good-looking guy. And must have had about 10 girls around the pool table watching him play pool. And I was like, dude, I want to play pool and I want to be just like that guy. And uh, he's one of my best friends, uh, Evan Kakugawa. So he was <laughs> like, dude. And so and he started three months. He was only playing three months at the time. And this was back in like 1987 or something like that at Hawaiian Brian's Billiards in Honolulu. And uh, and I was like, dude, that's what I want to do right there. Looks so cool. He had the smoothest stroke you ever seen. And he's only playing three months. So. And then I just followed him and we became friends. And then uh, I, every, and I was always one ball behind him. Like, you know, when he was just beginning, you know, as I guess it would be a D player back then, I was just picked up the cue. Then, you know, when I became a D player, uh, where he became a C player, I was, I was just a D. Then when he became a B, I was a C. When he became an A, I was a B. So I was always right behind him all the way. And then uh, a couple of years later, then that's when I started leaving Hawaii to play pool. And, and then, you know, obviously I passed, you know, you know, that, that level, but it was, uh, he's great. You know, still, he's everybody that's ever been to Hawaii knows Evan. So he's a, he's a, a great guy. And he, you know, he's one of my brothers. So, but yeah, he was the one that got me started. I've seen him and I was like, dude, I want to be just like that guy. Yeah. So what age was that when you actually first started playing and then what age when you realized, Hey, you know what? I could be pretty good at this. Um, yeah, it was right. Uh, right before my 17th birthday, I think it was. And uh, so I, I want to say June of uh, 1986. And then uh, so, you know, it's about 16 and a half before I turned 17 or something like that. Or uh, was it 87? 80, I can't remember. So been so far. <laughs> so might have been 87. But yeah, I was like uh, right before my 17th birthday. And then um, the uh, uh, I would say six months later. I was, or I'm like, dude, this is my game here. I got, I, I mean, this is, I'm, I mean, I love it. I, I've spent 18 hours a day on the pool table. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be anywhere else in life. This is it. I love the way, you know, the love, I can still remember the first time somebody showed me how to make a bridge. The first time, you know, first time I, I, I saw the cue ball and I drew it back a couple inches. I'm like, wow. I tell my friend, did you see that? I was like, dude, that ball came backwards. Watch this, watch this. <laughs> that was so cool. I remember everything just like it was yesterday. It was, uh, so it's really cool. Wow. What was the moment? Uh, so, you know, it's one thing to, Hey, I'm pretty good at this and I think I want to do this, but then there's another thing when you get to that professional level and you realize, you know what, I've arrived, like nobody has to beat me. When was that for you? Was there an event or a period of time where you realized you arrived? Yeah, I think the year was uh, 1995. And it was, I mean, well, arrived, there's a couple of different things. So for me, I consider myself uh, 
like having two careers. You know, my first career was from like 1989 to 1996. And that was my gambling career where I just, I never very, I would play one tournament a year or something, you know, I never wanted, I just wanted to gamble and, you know, all the world champion, you know, all the best guys, I was taking the eight ball from them all and all that. So, you know, and, and cause Hawaiian Brian, you know, he, he, he raised me the right way as far as, uh, you know, coming up in the ranks, he was like, I said, you know, how do I, how do I keep my action? Right. So I always moved around the pool room good back then. And one of the keys was he said, and I never forget it. And, and I used it. And for long, for years, it was, if you beat somebody with weight, he said, nobody's ever going to recognize that as you beat the guy. So I just told all the guys, even though I wanted to play them even, I was like, you know, give me the last two, give me the eight, just give me, give me anything because the other guys that play like him are not going to run away. They'll be like, oh, you didn't beat him. You beat him with the eight or you beat, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So 1995 was a big year. You know, a couple of guys came, Mark Tad came, gave me the eight and uh, we played for like 50,000. Uh, Jose Perica gave me the eight for, you know, like there's a bunch of guys gave me the eight. And I think that match uh, in the Vegas was the match that kind of, for me, I, I was like, okay, I came through this. Well, actually there was, there was three matches that year and I'll tell you all of them. And, and back then, 1995, you remember how great these guys were playing. If you remember, if some guys will remember listening to this, was uh, um, Mark Tad came, gave me the eight ball in uh, uh, playing nine ball in Hawaii, played for 50,000, I think. And then uh, there was a bunch more money bet. Every, I had half of the pool room of my friends bet against me. So that's how, because everybody seen me playing, you know, they didn't, you know, that was before internet, that was before text messaging and, you know, all this kind of screenshots. So they never seen what I was doing for the last five, six years all around the country, you know, beating yeah. up on guys and, you know, and getting my seasoning. So they just know me as, you know, Rocket from the pool room that just practicing all the time in Hawaii. So he plays great. But when the when the guys from the mainland come down, oh, I don't know, man, he can't beat those guys. I, so so every, you know, half the guys bet against me. And uh, so we end up, we almost had, oh man, 70, 80,000 bet on that, you know, that time. And uh, so he, he wins the first uh, four games. Remember now it's winter break nine ball. He wins the uh, first four games. We're playing 15 ahead and then he loses 19 games in a row. <laughs> so, what? Yeah, yeah. so I put uh, some, I guess you would call it uh, what they call that now these days, a package. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I'm going <laughs> to put a package <laughs> on them. <laughs> and then, uh, so, you know, that was the one that, you know, showed me like where my firepower could be in nine ball, like how I could, you know, I could string them racks and, you know, against the, you know, great players. And then later on that year, it was in uh, Manteca, California. Uh, I got the eight ball from Rafael Martinez. Mm. And then he, um, he, I was, I was with Tang Ho, my buddy Tang, and Tang was watching, and he watched the whole 17, 18 hours, and it was, um, he was giving me the eight point. I never seen, he never missed the ball for about 16 hours, 17 hours, like, and he was up eight games, and um, uh, about an hour and a half later, he he ended up losing that that ten ahead. So that was a big one for me to fight back from. You know, later on at the U.S. Open that year, I seen Raphael and I said, "Hey, Raphael, you you know you want to play? I'll play you." You know, even now he goes, "No," he said, "I played the best I could play, and and and, and I couldn't win." He said, "The eight ball didn't mean anything," you know. So, but but that helped me get the game later. That you know, a couple months later, with uh, what I think was another massive one for me was Jose Perica, and uh, we're in Vegas. And I don't know if you, you, you know, old enough to remember the uh, um, Qtopia there, Freddie Garino's place. Mm -hmm. And it was, they had two tables there that were super, super tight. It was one pocket tables, quadruple shim tables. And it was a tournament there. And all the pros were there, all the guys watching, you know, we're going to play. And I think we're, uh, me and Perica, we're going to play for um, um, 30,000. And the way it came, the game came about, which was funny, because I was with my one of my good friends. He's like he's like a uncle, brother, like a father to me. David and Tina Cruz from Hawaii, and we had just we were there for a week, and we lost all our money. We had no money, uh, you know. We you know we played dice all the time and all that, so we had money, but we just not on us, you know. Had money at home, and then so so we're sitting at this barbecue place, Korean barbecue place, uh, right next to the Riviera there, that ginseng barbecue, and we got all the Filipino guys are there. And then they, and I'm sitting eating with uh, Reed Pierce, 1995 U.S. Open champion, and Jimmy Wetch. Mm -hmm. So we go to eat. I take them to this uh, Korean place, and right on the next booth is Parika and all the Filipinos, Efren and Luad and Andam and all those guys, Bustamani. And um, 
and I'm trying to play Jimmy Wedge and Reed Pierce, even nine ball. I'm trying to get them, you know, and Jimmy's like, no, nah, you played too good now, this and that, you know, you know, I need, I need something. I was like, no, you beat me when I first came, you know, when I first left Hawaii, we're, you know, we're, I'm negotiating a game to play even with them. Yeah. So Parika all of a sudden jumps over, like leans over the little, little partition there. And then he looks at, uh, he looks at uh, Jimmy Wetch. He says, he said, you want to play nine ball? He said, you got the seven. And then he points to Reed Pierce, say, you got the seven. And then he looks at me, say, and you got the eight. And then I'm like, this, this guy knocking my action, right? You know, like, you know, like automatically, you know, I got to give these guys a, a ball, right? So, so now I'm hot. I'm like, okay. I was like, be careful what you wish for. I said, I said, you might get played. And then uh, he's, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, come on, we play, you know, Qtopia. And, and I know I'm getting weight and I, and I play great on tight tables. So I want to play on a real tight table. Right, because I want that eight ball to show up. Yeah. So I told him, I said, okay, I'll, I'll play. I said, I might play you with the eight. He said, but I'm. Not, I told him I'm not playing on no tight tables. He goes, no, you gotta play on a tight table. We gotta play. So then, and I like to play long fifteen ahead sets. I don't like to play races, right? Right. And, and that's why I never like the tournaments. And then, uh, so then I go. I said, okay, but if we play on a tight table, I said, I don't want to play no long ahead. So I want to play short race. He goes, no, we got to play 15 ahead. We have to play 15 ahead. So, <laughs> so then my buddy David's there. He's laughing. He's, so I said, so then we make the game. So, okay, yeah, we go down. I said, let me see how much money I can find. I said, nah. so he said, okay, we play tonight. I said, yeah, yeah. And then uh, so I looked at David. I said, I know we got no money. I said, but how much, uh, how much markers can you get? And then he says, um, he goes, well, I can get 5,000 at Flamingo, 10,000 uh, credit line here, like, because we gambled all the time. So I said, get whatever you can. I said, and, you know, if I end up losing this match, I said, but I ain't going to lose. I said, but if I end up losing, I'll give you half the money back, you know, like you go partners with me. So we end up getting 30,000, and that's how much we bet. And um, so we're playing the match, and uh, we're playing 15 ahead. And the first hour, Parika's up about seven or eight games. Like he never missed a ball. The guy's, you know, the guy's so great. You know, he's, he's, yeah. he's just unbelievable. So, and you know, back then he was in his forties then, you know, I was just, you know, I'm 23, 24. So you imagine, you know, he was already coming on the downside, I think, but I see, you know, he, he played this, this goes on for 17 hours where he never misses a ball. And at his age at that time too, cause you know, even though he played great in his forties, I could just imagine what he was like in his thirties, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. so and and by then this now it's like nine ten in the morning the next morning everybody had left after a few hours they thought that you know he's robbing me right so um 17 hours uh go go by and it's just me my buddy david and archie the greek was watching and and whoever was working there and they're talking and they're watching the match now and then uh i'm, I'm down one game after 17 hours and the pivotal point in this match was he um he misses the eight ball, hangs the eight ball, and then he's, you know, he's he whacks his cue. He says, Oh, dunk in all. He goes like that. And he whacks his, his cue on the on the by the side pocket and his tip flies off. And he goes, Oi! He goes like that. And he goes, and, and then you know, so I'm thinking you got another shaft or whatever, right? And then he goes, My tip, my tip uh, flies off. And then I go, I go, I said, I don't know, man. It's gonna be tough to play with that thing like that. And then uh he go, he go, I don't have another shaft. He said, Luat, Luat got my shaft. He oh. said, and then uh, he said, so he calls, the, the guys call the hotel, wakes up Luat, and he said, Luat's coming, you know, he's going to bring the other shaft. I said, okay. And so I know we're so tired, our adrenaline is done, you know, it's hard to just stay on our feet. Well, he decides he wants to put his head down. So he leans, he goes, puts his head down to get some rest. And uh, about 20, 25 minutes later, Luat comes with the shaft. But during that whole 20 minutes, I'm hitting balls the whole time. I don't want to, I don't want to let my adrenaline go down, nothing. Well, we come back and it was like a whole, he was just waking up again. And uh, an hour later he was done. The match was over. I beat him. And then, wow. but, uh, and then after the match, he, he tells me, and it's the biggest compliment any, any, anybody could give, but any Filipino would give. And until today, I never forget it. He tells me, and you gotta remember that he's got that, you know, his thick Filipino accent, right? So he goes, he goes, I can't beat you. He said, cause you kicked the balls too fucking good. <laughs> that was so good, dude. After that, I was like, dude, I don't need to do anything anymore, man. I mean, the best Filipino ever is telling me that I, you know, I kicked too good for him. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. So that was a. That's awesome. That was a big. So then that's when I was like, okay, 
you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on that level now. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah. you know, I, cause I wasn't like the guy was, you know, shooting and missing the eight ball every game. You know, I, you know, I was running out. So, you know, so that was when that was the, the pivotal point 95. And then, so then, and right at that time was when I stopped getting all that soft action that I was getting all those years, you know, the easy ones. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I got to beat these, the best guys anyway, cause nobody else wants to play. And then that's when 96, the PBTA tour came and I had to make a decision. Hey, I'm going to be a tournament player now because I got no more action or I'm going to go, you know, take up, uh, you know, UFC or something, you know, but when, or invent UFC, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At that point. <laughs> yeah. So I was either going to play pool, be a pool player and play in these tournaments and try to be the best at tournaments or quit. So yeah. that, and then that's when 96, when I played my first year on tour and then that's when I won the US Open, Puerto Rico, you know, and all that stuff. So, but yeah. that was my, that, so that from before pre 96 was all gambling, you know, stories, right? It's all the gambling action. Yeah. You know? So who would you say uh, was your biggest rival? Ooh, shoot. I guess in the beginning, it's another great story. But the first time I started, when that first time I started playing in all those tournaments, my first 10 tournament matches, this is going back to even when I did play some tournaments, US Open or, you know, whatever these other little ones, was I played Earl Strickland. And it, I remember the first 10 times I played him, he beat me all 10 times, hill, hill. Wow. And, and every single time he always, after the match, he was like, you're going to be a great player one day. He said, just, you know, so you, you play him. He said, man, I'm surprised you're not there already. So you play, you're on, you play great. And then finally, I remember the 11th time we played, I ended up beating him in that match. And then he goes, you lucky son of a <laughs> I was like, I was a great player. All those times I lost. And then when I beat him, I was the luckiest mother scratcher. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was Earl was was a big one. And then because when I was and then that 96 that year, uh, well, actually, I started playing more tournaments in 95. And um, and I remember I was like, I was going to quit because Johnny, you know, was another one. He used to beat me all the time in them tournaments, you know, and I, so I was frustrated. I was like, yeah, I can't beat these, you know, these top guys, you know, the number one and two guys just, you know, they get you. But, you know, but I, I just said, you know, I got a, I got a couple guys, you know, Willie Munson was 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 a guy that uh, kind of helped me you know, stick with it. Cause he yeah. was like, you too good a talent, man. He said, I said, I'm going to quit Willie. I can't, I can't, you know, beat these guys. Every time I get up to the, you know, the finals or yeah, I always dog it and this and that. He, go, he said, just stick with it, man. You're going to get there. So you, you play too good not to get there. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, an effort, of course, you know, but uh, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, all those Filipinos, those guys all, you know, back then the, the Bustamani, Luat, Andam, Barika, you know, Efren, like those guys, like those five guys, like you got to get by those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And now there's a new wave of them. You know, Dude, it's like they just yeah. keep coming. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, these guys, yeah. They, that's a lot of them. That's how they get, you know, they're, that's their way out. You know, yeah. they yeah. have no choice, you know, if you like, and then Brian used to tell me years ago, he's like, just remember this. He said, if a Filipino is left the Philippines to play pool, he ain't going to miss a ball. Yeah. <laughs> he said, yeah. you don't leave, you know, it's not like an average player just going to come out of there, you know, to play. Pool. Right. No, you got to be, you got to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. So those guys are, yeah. So, and you know, people, uh, uh, back in 2002 or one, when I started playing again, you know, I, I snuck over to the Philippines, you know, pretty often for a week or two and, you know, played, you know, those guys just so I can get mentally tough, you know? Yeah. So, you know, guys just drew me that you, you never even heard of, you know? So, you know, so, and then uh, Appleton did the same thing. You know, Mika does that a lot. You know, you got to go in. It's like, I always tell people, it's like going to Thailand and, and practicing kickboxing, you know, yeah. with those guys there, you know, it's like, yeah. you got to do it. You got to see what that, what that's like and get in there because, those guys, you know, you're playing for cheap, you know, fifty, hundred dollar sets or whatever, but you, they're playing for blood out there, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Rodney, uh, I'm gonna try to share my screen here and play a clip that I have because I asked Alex Pagulian when I had him on the show who the biggest character was uh, in the pool world, and uh, I just want to hear what your reaction is to what he had to say. So, hold on one second. Let me share the screen. Okay. I can already hear Alex's voice. Like Alex is a character. What about this person? This person's a character. Is there anybody else out there that comes? Rodney out? Morris. Oh, really? Rodney Morris. Yeah, Rodney Morris is a very fun guy. He's another guy that I beside. You know, uh, Rodney. We always get along. We always have fun no matter where we are. I'm going to see each other. 
Uh, we always have fun. He's very funny. He sings good. He can dance. He does a lot of jokes. <laughs> so probably the guy. As I go through with this show and, you know, meet people who I've, you know, kind of always been a fan of like Alex, you know, and I ask him, who's the biggest character, you know, and I have to say out of the 15 or so interviews that I've done about 12 of them had said Keith McCready, you know? Oh yeah. Keith <laughs> oh, is funny. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you know, I've been a fan of yours for a while and I've seen you play. I first saw you play at the super billiards expo uh, years ago. And, you know, just so silky smooth, the way you moved around the table and everything. And I'm like, yeah, and always smiling and seemed to be having a great time. And when Alex said that about you being a character, you know, I was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, I, it's kind of <laughs> like something I didn't really know about because I'd never hung out with you. But uh, what's your reaction to that? Oh, shoot. Alex and my brother. So he's he's uh, yeah, he, we have a good time all the time. So yeah, I'm just, you know, that's my that's me. You know, I'm the same no matter what. It's like, I'm always going to be joking and laughing and, you know, have a good time. And I'm, I'm a pretty witty guy. So I come up with stuff that makes cracks people up all the time. So, yeah, my, my buddies in Hawaii that I used to golf with all the time, they're like, man, we miss golfing with you. So just laugh all day long on the golf course. Yeah. So that's all it is, man, about having, enjoying life and laughing all the time. I cracked Alex up one time we were in Taiwan and we were playing the, uh, it was Taiwan versus the world. And uh, after the tournament, Mr. Two, who was running that the, uh, that association there, took us all out to massage and, and uh, you know, uh, bar, drink and eat and all this. And then uh, we're standing on the, on, on the sidewalk one time and then uh, uh, Alex was something about uh, somebody came by and then they had a uh, MC Hammer song was going going by in the car from, you know, one of the people in the streets. Yeah. And then I started doing, you know, the hammer, hammer time. And then uh, Alex started cracking up laughing every time I see him like a couple of years, you're like, dude, you got to bust out that hammer, hammer time again. I said, dude, I used to dance when I was young. That's what I did. But yeah, he's crack. I used to crack him up all the time. I got, I got a good, good story for how about Alex where that same, that same uh, Taiwan trip, um, Alex and he try he decides he wants to um, uh, uh, challenge a drinking contest, uh, alcohol drinking contest with uh, how uh, Chang Hao Ping. He 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 just passed away a couple of years ago or whatever. And uh, you know uh, you know R.I.P. to him. He was a great player. I call him the professor. He had the big glasses, but uh, he was a great Taiwanese player. And uh, he passed away. But um, this time he we were playing and it was a. Uh, um, we go and he shows up at the the bar because he's been drinking. He hardly plays pool anymore at this time. And he's just drinking all the time. So he's in dead drinking stroke. Alex decides he want to challenge him shot for shot of whiskey. Well, that didn't last long. The, the bottle's gone. And so is Alex. And he's so now we're on these chairs getting massages. And I'm with I'm with Bustamani, uh, Alex, me and one other guy. And might have been Mika, I think. Yeah, I think it was Mika. And uh, so the four of us are in the van and all this taking us all over. So we get all the massage. We're all getting massage. Alex is out, dead out cold the whole time. I'm carrying him to the massage chair, carrying him to the van. Carrying, he's dead out, never even made a move through the whole massage, never even moved at all. But now we all have the, the uh, Mr. Two gave us all cash. So we all got this, you know, whatever, 20000 in our pockets, right? And... Alex is dead drunk the whole time, never make a move. So finally we get, we go back and we get, I got to carry him outside of the uh, van to get to the hotel. This is the last end of the whole thing and he hasn't moved or he's dead out. Then uh, uh, Bustamani, he goes, he goes, buddy, buddy, hold on, hold on. He, he goes, Shh, he goes like that. And he goes to like put his hand in the, in the pocket where Alex's pocket is the money's at. And he goes over there and he goes like that. And within a, like a, a half a second, Alex jumps up and he goes, Oh, okay. Where we at, boy? So right, he's like sobered up right away. As soon as you went for that money, boy, he sobered up real quick. Oh, was so fast. He oh, was out, dude. Alex cracked me up. Oh, that's great. Tell him, bro, you were out cold, and as soon as somebody went for your money, you woke right up, huh? He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. Nobody can get the money, man. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. I'm kind of wishing I would have interviewed you first. Yeah. <laughs> tell all the Alex stories. Oh gosh. Oh man. So, uh, so what was your most crushing defeat in your pool career? Oh shoot. I'm trying to think, man, a lot of losses, but, uh, I don't know. I don't take, I don't take the losses too hard. You know, I forget about them, you know, like if you're going to be a great player, you got to forget the losses, but I know a big one financially was Efren in the finals of the IPT because I was robbing, you know, everybody. 
So they got me on that one. Yeah, he he uh, he did a little shark move on me. So, but they, <laughs> but they read the. I would have ran out the set, but my break was so perfect. So that event there, right? That was the last IPT event, right? And it was five hundred thousand, and then one fifty for second. I had the most breaking runs in the whole tournament going into there. 147 breaking runs or wherever it was for the for the week and um so now i'm in the finals and i broke i the way i i had practiced my break the whole time i was straight in front of the uh center of the pool table breaking from the dead center and both of my feet were right in front of each other like my right foot is in front and the left straight back in the dead center line of the of the spot and everything i had that dialed in for the whole week well when they moved the tables for the final table and the in the in the um you know the very final match they ran a a uh, a thick, super thick. It's about three inch cables right under the middle of the table, right where my feet would go, and I had to stand on the side of those things to break. Mm -hmm. And if you if you ever watch that match, um, I scratched on the break the last three times because I was off a little bit. You know, my my balance was off a little. It cost me cost me that match. So as far as like a uh, crushing defeat financially, that was probably a big one because that was three hundred fifty thousand. You know, the the difference. Yeah, but um, you know, as far as uh, heartbreaking defeats, oh, wait, I think. Wait, yeah. Rodney, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't drop that uh, Efren sharked you and not tell us about that. How did he? Shark oh, you? he got me. He got me a good one. I was up four two, and running out, and I was jacked up over a shot. And they had a they had these score sheets that you would have to turn in after the after the thing. You know, it's not like nobody's keeping score. Right. You just sign your sheet after. There's no reason to pick up the paper or nothing, right? I, you can see it on the video at four two. I'm jacked up shooting right towards him. And so I go like that couple strokes. And right when I get ready to hit, I go like that. He picks up the paper, go like that, looks at the paper and puts it down like that. I'm like, I'll go like that. And then you can hear Allison Fisher and Tony Robles who were doing the commentary. He was like, did Efren just shark him on that? I was like, that. I was like, no, I'm white. And it's the most incredible thing because you don't expect it. So it's even way worse. Yeah. But, you know, I should have been prepared. You know, I played in the Philippines a lot of time. That kind of stuff, you know, you can block all, you know, guys could be fighting in the corner, you know, on the side, you know, jumping over the table. You should be able to be tough enough to fade it. But it happened when you weren't expecting that, you yeah, know. Yeah. So that's when it got me. I was like, oh, and then that's what got him back in the game. And then we were rack for rack. And then I scratched. I kept scratching. He would break dry, run out, tie it, scratch on the break. He'd go up a game. He'd break dry. Uh, I'd run out. I'd tie it. I scratched on the break. It happened all the way even. And then finally, when it was a uh, uh, seven, seven, then he broke and the two balls at the bottom kissed each other and went in. Otherwise he wouldn't have made a ball. So, and he ran out hill, hill, but that was, a, uh, yeah, that was a big one there or eight, yeah. six or whatever it was. I forget, but yeah, it was a, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big one. So, but so, you know, it didn't seem so bad at the time because we were expecting a lot more tournaments. Yeah. But then if you look back, you know, you know, over a decade later, like, shoot, that was the last one. I wish I would have won that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I do a fun little game. Well, I think it's fun on here sometimes where I call it speed pool. I'll give you a name of a player and you have five seconds to say the first word that comes to mind. First okay. word. Oh, you're going to name the player. Yep. Oh, my God. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm already cracking up thinking, have, just thinking you, of my answers. Oh, I, I have a lot of fun with this. And, you know, oh, you could have six or seven seconds if you need it. <laughs> no, com it. no compound words. You okay, know, okay. No, like two word answers. Okay, here we go. Johnny yeah. Archer. Lint. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. He had a spell. He had, a, he, had a, he had some years there where, boy, he was picking up lint off tables people that wasn't, he wasn't even playing on. Yeah, the best yeah. one, the best one ever, the best about that whole lint thing <laughs> was, uh, yeah, I call it lint gate. He was <laughs> the best, the best one about that lint gate situation was Raj. If my buddy, you got to tag my buddy Raj Hundal in this. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, 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 Raj tells me, he said, what? He, he was playing on the table next to Johnny and he goes, you know, he got Raj got the his British accent, right? So he goes, he goes, bro, what's up with Johnny, man? He, I said, what happened? He goes, he said, I, I, I'm watching him. He's, you know, every shot, he's he's picking up lint off the table, and then uh, one time he goes, he's he's getting down on a shot, and then he looks on the floor and he picks a lint up off the floor. <laughs> He said, he said he's he's picking up lint from everywhere. I said, bro, he's got that lint and the lint's bothering him, man. 
<laughs> oh god lintgate i love it lintgate <laughs> all right oh god okay, okay. Go ahead. next one earl strickland oh man seven okay you're gonna have to well, i gotta elaborate on that one we'll elaborate in a minute okay we'll come back to that no no come on you gotta i gotta okay, i go gotta ahead. tell you the story on each one okay so i'm i'm uh <laughs> you're gonna love this one uh uh seven I can't say his. Uh, I can't say who the who the girl was in this situation because I don't want to add a name in. But this was back in 2003, and we're living in Spring Hill, Florida, together, and we're all playing out of Capone's billiards, and we're golfing every day. And so one time, I, uh, Earl said, "Let's go. You know, you're gonna go golf today." I said, "Yeah, come on, we go. We we'll go out there." And uh, we we're members at the same golf course, so we're in the cart together. I'm driving. Then um, he he's on the phone. <laughs> then he he goes. Uh, First hole, he hits on the green. He's on the. You can see he's like arguing or like it's not going well. The conversation. So first hole goes. He's like, just pick it up. He's pissed, right? Right. So go to the second hole. He hits the ball, whatever. Gets up. You know, hits hits on the green. I go on the green. He's like, pick it up. This happens for about three, four holes. Finally, he hangs up the phone and he goes, I can't say the the lady's name, but he's like, man, he said that. So I can't believe she's she, she's she's nuts. He says, uh, he says, she's got six personalities. He says, I got seven and none of mine get along with any of hers. <laughs> I never forget that one. Dead serious. He wasn't even laughing at all. He was dead serious. He's like, wow. she's got six personalities. I got seven. None of mine get along with any of hers. Oh, oh that's, that's tough. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, boy. Oh, Earl's man. the best. Earl is the best, actually. You, talk, you just hang out with him, boy. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. I took him on a, on a trip to Japan that he never forget. But we had a good time for 39 days in a different city every day in wow. 2008. Yeah, you ask him about that if you get him on here. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Mika Eminen. Hmm. Can I swear if I say like sure. female dog? But I would have to say bitch. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's that's my nickname. Elaborate. And it's, and, it, and it's well because he's because he's always bitching about something, you know, like, mm -hmm. and he got the hand movement going. He's like, dude, he said, so that's, that's how I call him. You know, I told, I always, we always joke around that he's going to be, he's going to be the next Earl. Cause I said, dude, you gotta, you can't, you can't stop, you know, table roll off or this guy got lucky or whatever. You got to fade all you keep, you letting it eat you too much, man. Stop bitching about that. Let's tell him. You, you know what I, what I love about this is you're not talking behind their back because you say the same thing to them. As well. Oh, no, dude. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's He's awesome. probably changed a lot now. He probably calmed down. But I remember back then when we were going around, you know, all the tournaments, like, let it go, man. Let it go. So you're going to be, it's going to eat you too much. Stop yeah. bitching about that. <laughs> all right. Corey Dole. Oh, soft. <laughs> the soft break. I think, I think I know where you're going with that. Yeah. I mean, he changed the game. He changed nine ball. You know, he made it where you know, you know, figure figure out something how to how to make a ball. Um, a lot of people don't know though. He, he they think uh, Corey invented that soft break, um, two thousand one. But he, uh, um, Parika did it to me in the semifinals in nineteen ninety seven at the end of the PBTA and uh, Efren in the finals. He he robbed both of us eleven three, and he was doing the soft cut break. And made he figured out how to do it because we were breaking from the box and everybody was hitting them head on hard the whole season. That semifinals and finals, he was just cut breaking and and uh, making the corner ball and robbing us. And so that was. I wonder if Corey watched that. I got to talk to Corey about that actually. He said, "Do you ever watch that match and think I'm going to do that?" You know. But yeah, do you, do you think the soft break hurt the game of nine ball? I think it kind of yeah realized it, it brought out the flaws in the game. You know. So that that's you know that's why people went to ten ball to try to take away that that little dinkiness of it you know so yeah. and then you know then the then they realize now they realize that you know if you can just hit the ball square you know on ten ball you you you're, it's easier than nine ball <laughs> so it's yeah. like yeah so but yeah it's uh, but that was what pretty kind of moved guys to ten ball that's that moved it to ten ball for the Seminole tour I know that for sure yeah. okay uh, last one okay Alex Pagulang. Clown. Do you hear me? No. Clown. Just, oh, clown. I said clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. <laughs> He's like me, boy. We just never. Everything is a joke. Everything is funny. Clack, cracking up. Oh yeah, you gotta listen. You gotta. I don't know if you, you had him on already, but you gotta listen to him do the impressions and all that stuff. It's so uh, funny. Of all the guys, yeah, he's really funny. Yeah, Alex uh, is a good guy, but yeah. yeah you mentioned yeah. all the everybody I love. Everybody I love, by the way, and yeah. and you know we're teasing and all in fun. So 
You know, Rodney, I do my homework. Seriously, I customize the questions for each guest. And, you know, I, I knew that you had relationships with those guys. And, and Oh, okay, good. good. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I try to keep these interviews about an hour. And so, you know, I don't get to cover everything I want to cover. So what I asked Alex and I'll ask you and, you know, is, you know, maybe we'll do a part two one day, year from now, 18 no, months or something, yeah. you know, because things change in your life, right? Like, yeah. like I was going to ask you this later, but I'll just ask you now. Uh, you were recently named uh, the CEO of TSPN. Is that correct? Yep. The Social yes. Pool Network, TSPN. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about that and uh, what that's all about? Um, yeah. So the uh, founder, uh, originally Alan Hendrickson, he was, uh, um, you know, he, he uh, uh, you know, loved pool and, and he wanted to come up with, you know, a, a better league, you know, and something. So, you know, he loves, he loves the game and, um, you know, he wanted to come up with a, a, a league, a better league than what we've, we've had, right. And come up and he loves pool. And um, so he came up with this and, and he hired some attorneys to tell him what the best business model was. And they, they instructed him to do a singles league, you know, so, but it never took off because, you know, cause he didn't want them to him competing with all the team team stuff that's been going on forever. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how the, that singles league originally. So, but recently that now that I became a CEO a few weeks ago, I decided that I wanted to, you know, to gain some momentum, you know, and build a membership quick at a quicker pace. And I announced uh, teams. So now we are also a team, team, you know, league. So now I'm getting all this kind of, you know, traction going and people about to, you know, some people already announced uh, their start dates for teams, but basically our, you know, you play through the app. Everything is played through the app. We have eight ball, nine ball. Now we're adding more and more games. We have a, uh, um, uh, Saratoga. I don't know if you figure, you're familiar with the Saratoga game. We got that game in there now because uh, EJ out of Wyoming, Saratoga is doing, uh, um, going to launch, I think next week they launched their team, Saratoga team league on Mondays. And um, so we're just, you know, it's just a regular league, you know, like any other league, except our business model is structured where it's designed to give back automatic, you know, in the business model. So one of the cool things that I'm doing as far as the membership, we have a $49 annual membership uh uh, you know, membership dues, but what I'm doing right off the top with anybody that forms teams, everybody gets $25 back uh, out of that annual dues for to do whatever they want end of years, you know, tournaments or whatever. So, you know, so you can see if you have a, instead of us putting together that, uh, you know, end of end of year tournament or whatever, because we don't know what the environment's going to look like and we don't want to make any kind of promises that we can't keep. So that's just a way for them. If you got, let's say you have a thousand players, in, you know, in the state or whatever, well, that's 25,000 going back to those guys. They can do something with, that's a pretty decent tournament. You know, if you have a state that's yeah. open, right? So that's what we're trying to do. And then the business model, we have a sign three play for free now, which I came up with. And so what that does on a, on a, on a four person team, if you're a captain, your three teammates sign up under you and you're automatically playing for free after that first month, right? So, so now instead of that $10 a week, you know, for those in a, in a 12, uh, 12 week session, you got eight weeks, you're not paying. So that's $80 per player, you know, that's not per captain, that's not paying. So that's another way we flow money back, you know, so we're, when you compare apples to apples, you know, in our league, it's, 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 there's no comparison. We give back so much that, you know, in different ways that there's no, there's no, you look at it, you're like, okay, these guys, you know, it's built in the business model. So all I do right now is just go around and share that info with people and help them, you know, Hey, you know, do this, you know, and then when, you know, because the business model was set up as a, you know, originally, a, you know, we're an MLM classified as an MLM company, you know, direct sales marketing. Some people would like to say that we're a, you know, pyramid scheme. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to nix that right away. Well, there's two reasons why. One reason is we don't, we don't force any promoters to carry product. Well, because we have no product, right? So, you know, pool is the product. So yeah. we're not forcing a bunch of people to do so much volume in order to be qualified as a promoter. No, you just sign up and you guys go play pool. And the second reason is uh, because we don't make people be promoters. If you just want to be a player, just like any other league, just sign up as a player and play. That's it. So some people and I noticed the people that are saying the those things are the people that, you know, have their own leagues. <laughs> You know what I mean? So they're like, it's like, dude, okay, all right, I understand, but I'm not, I'm not going around bashing nobody's league. As I got friends that play every single league, five days a week, all different leagues. You know, it's great. It's more pool, the better. But we just, we're just a different option. Yeah. You know, and and we want to give back more money. And then, like I tell the guys out there, if you're going to start it in your area 
call me up, message me or whatever, and we'll get it started in your area. And, and I said, we've thrown so much money at so much bad ideas. You'd be surprised how, how much money we can throw at a good idea if you give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, we, we, we just want to, we just want to give back, but we want right now, I, I want to change this whole thing is where we give back money in the right places. Yeah. Well, you know, Rodney, you're preaching to the choir because my wife has been involved with several companies uh, that were network marketing and MLM companies. And, you know, people get bitter about it, I think, because, you know, they have so many people that get involved and then don't make money. Well, it's because they don't work for it. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, anything yeah. else. If you put the effort in and you recruit people and you get people to play, you know, yeah. and you get people to do it, then you're going to be successful, you know, but I, you know. I, for one, I saw her be successful. She was in the top 1% of her company. So I know it works if you're Ooh, willing to nice. work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in so, the name already, right? Network marketing. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But you now, know, but so, so the only, really the only, the only uh, thing that's, you know, MLM about our company is the, that, that pay structure, yeah. you know, uh, every, I mean, and that's genius because it automatically holds us accountable to pay. In other words, you're not waiting for, for us to collect all the money and then give you guys back some. No, it's already built in that business model, which yeah. to me is like it's genius is way, way ahead of its time. So we, we're just trying to catch everybody up to speed on what we're doing. So I, I agree with you that uh, any more, the more pool we get, the better, right? The more options that we have, you know, I'm doing this podcast, other people do podcasts, you know, the more of those that are out there, the better, you know, we're not in competition, we're helping each other, you know, and so I, I hope it works out for you. And, you know, tell the listeners how they would go about uh, finding out more information about it. Uh, you can just search uh, tspnpool.com. Uh, you can go on there. And then uh, what we also have now is that we didn't have, uh, you know, uh, pre-COVID is we have uh, a guest option where you can go in. You can just go on the, find the TSPN app. And it's an acronym for the Social Pool Network. And uh, it's on uh, Play Store, on Android, and then uh, iTunes and on, on Apple. And then, um, you know, you can just create a free account and you scroll down a little more. You don't need a referral code uh, if you want to be a free guest. And you just go on there and then you're you're able to play eight ball matches and you're able to play the rocket run out rocket run out uh, tournaments and and practice matches are what I invented uh, rocket run. It's all offense uh, game. And then you can see the rules and stuff on there. But yeah, and then you can reach out. You can you can find us on Facebook or somewhere or just kind of search. You see Tanya. Tanya Stremler is the uh, COO and she does all the back office stuff and all that. So, you know, I'm just a pretty face and, uh, you know. That's, yeah, but you can, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Uh, yeah, usually. Yeah, uh, I'll put some links up for the viewers. That way they can uh, check it out for themselves. And you mentioned Saratoga. And, uh, it, you know, I heard that you maybe were one of the co-inventors of that game. Is that correct? Yeah. The, uh, so um, about 12 years ago, I want to say, uh, uh, Ed Glode, uh, who was the mayor of the town, he's the one that invited me there back in 2008. We, you know, we're sitting around and, you know, there's all bar tables there. So, you know, nine ball on a bar table, you know, it's, it, I don't think there's a, a more boring game, you know, in our opinion. So I, he was like, I'm tired of nine ball. And I'm like, well, I'm tired of eight ball. And then uh, so we said, we got to figure out something that, that we can play. So we came up with this game. So we, we uh, it was too hard with all 15 balls. So we took out the seven and the 15 and then we made it 13 balls and it's just a hybrid of eight ball and nine ball. And you just, you, it's eight ball where you choose solids and, and stripes, but it's nine ball where you run them in order. And then you shoot the eight, the eight last. So we came up with that and it was like, well, we got to come up with a name for this. He said, you know, I'm going to add 10,000 in this event. At least we, let's have a name for the game. And I said, well, I mean, we're in Saratoga. It got invented here. Why don't we just call it Saratoga? So <laughs> that's how the name was. And then that was it. And then ever since then, you know, we've been playing it. They play leagues on it. And then uh, January, I was out in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. I think I went to Massachusetts and did a little, some teaching over there. And then a guy... Uh, told me he said uh um he said yeah have you, have you ever heard of this game saratoga and then i go i said yeah that was uh i said that was a um, pretty pretty cool game i said yeah. he said yeah we play it all the time out here uh, he said i heard it was invented uh, in wyoming by uh, a mayor and his son 
And then I said, uh, I said, yeah, I think I, th I think I might, I might be his, I might be the son in that scenario there. <laughs> and then, uh, and he's like, what? He said, I said, yeah. I said, I, I, I said, I invented that game. And he's like, wow. He said, we played over here. I was like, dude, I said, you don't know how happy I am to hear that, that people actually, and a lot of people I see when I explain the game and all that, they, they say, oh, we call it fast eight. We call it crazy eight. We call it, you know, whatever. So oh, people yeah. have been trying it and playing it over. It's not, it's not a, uh, you know, but ours was with the 13 balls and then, um, and then, so the spinoff of that is Rocket Runout, which is nine balls, because we wanted, so imagine this, a nine ball rack, one through four, nine through 12, and then the black ball. So you rack nine balls, you break, and you have choice, solid or stripe. But if you run a rack, you're only running four balls plus the black ball. Mm. So we wanted to cater to our the, the average league member who's like a five through a seven or whatever, four through six, like that, that level and have them have the same feeling of running a rack as the pros do right so if yeah. they're running four or five balls and that's a full rack it, it makes them feel like they're running a lot you know so we thought that okay this is going to be so easy everybody's going to be able to run five balls well it's a lot tougher game than it looks so yeah we just played it here this weekend and uh everybody was like dude he said what did, what kind of game did you invent he said i want to break my cue with this thing i said <laughs> i said don't worry it'll get better so the all offense version was created because i you know in ej and i we, we've thought about this for you know two decades for me um in order to change the way the game has been going you know, like no disrespect to every great tournament, Moscone Cup, uh, all the matchroom, what they do, all everybody's been around, right? We've all been around forever and the game has gone down and down, less popular, less money, right? Yeah. We, we, we're all in agreement that it's going backwards. It's not going the way it needs to go. So I, I am of the mind and, and a few of us that are doing some big things right now, we are of the mind that you have to change the culture. We have to change the culture, right? Right now, when people look at pool, you know, in this country, especially, they're like, it's a, it's a, you know, gangster's game. And, you know, like, oh, I don't want my kid going in the pool hall, pool room, and this kind of element, right? So we want to change it to where people are going to say, hey, how can I get my kid to play, you know, be a member here at your pool room or whatever, right? We want to change that culture. Well, in order to change that culture, we have to change that mindset of all the games that have been like, if I think about eight ball, I think about nine ball, I think about every game that's, that's, that's ever had, we have a memory of it. Yeah. Right. We have a memory of it. And when that, and with that memory comes that stigma, well, the games that we just created, there's no memory of it. There's no bad memory. There's nobody got shot in the pool room over this game. You know, you know what I mean? There's yeah. nothing bad. So that's what was the, the idea of changing the game, change the culture, and then we can change the way people think about it and have the parents want to, you know, Hey, so we're, we're starting that, you know, on a small level. And uh, now that the games are getting more traction and we're creating these things, we're, we're going to, we think we're, we're real close to getting it where, we, we might have a chance again. We might yeah. have seen, see a bunch of pool rooms, training center, youth facilities with pool tables coming around again like they did back when Color of Money came out and we had that boom, you know? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because like this idea of a new game, it's been tried before with Bonus Ball, but I think the problem was that Bonus Ball was just too different, you know, where it sounds like you took the existing balls, you didn't have to have different color balls or anything, and you just made a new game out of the balls we're already familiar with with looking at and playing and striking, you know, and, and now it's just been reformatted into uh, this new game, which I think is pretty cool. It should. Yeah. Catch on. Yeah. And then the all offense is created for that reason is I, I always akin it to golf. Everybody knows their, their handicap in golf. You know, everybody knows their, their number in bowling, right? Mm -hmm. If I know, I know like I could shoot a 99 in bowling. I, I suck at bowling. Right. And then if I was to play golf, I know I, you know, I'm shoot 88 or whatever it is. I know that number. Well, when, when somebody plays pool, how many times you play pool and you, you go, how'd you play today? Well, I played good. Well, how good? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. How, oh, I played bad. Well, how bad? This all offense stuff that we created, it tells you exactly how good or bad you play because it's, you know, you know, a number that you shot. Yeah. So that's the cool. And then you own that number. So whatever level you are, you have a number and then you can match up with somebody that way. You can handicap tournaments that way. You can handicap leagues that way. And it's really on point. So I encourage people to try this rocket run out stuff, the all offense version of it. And then you start establishing a number. You can do it for free on the app and stuff and start playing and then reach out to me or whoever, you know, there's, a, I'm sure in your city or state, there'll be people that are playing it and you can see they're most of the time they're live streaming, you know, the tournaments and stuff like that. So, and if you join the TSPN uh, 
Rocket Runout, you know, tournaments page, you can uh, go on there and you can see what people are doing. There's a group of about 40, 50 people that play all the time and live stream all the time. So we got a real good group of guys that absolutely love the game and we're all dying for more blood to come in. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. So you're a former Moscone Cup MVP. And I was talking to Mike Davis before this call, and I know you guys were teammates back in 2006. And Mike said that you probably handled the pressure better than anyone at that event. And it might be because of just your personality, the way you joked around, even around the table, you know, you just had this loose type of uh, uh, personality, you know, when you were playing. And I'm wondering, is that your way of dealing with pressure? You know, does it help you kind of take the edge off at a huge event like a Moscone Cup, just kind of joking around and having fun? A hundred percent. Yeah, I tried. I tried, you know, um, back in the uh, like 95, 96, you know, I tried playing real deliberate and intense and not saying a word and tight and quiet. I don't have that game. The game is not there. You know, like I can't I can't I can't bring out my best when I'm at that, you know, like, you know, feeling that same kind of that mentality. So I had to make a decision. I had to either. And Hawaiian Brian was the one that told me. And it's and it's something that I tell people all the time when they ask, you know, on Facebook or whatever for advice, you know, how to how to handle the pressure. And it's and it, and it stuck with me. And it's and it, I've, told, I've said it many times. It's in my DVD, Rocket Science. He said, you have to learn how to play within yourself. So myself is always joking around, loose, you know what I mean? Like fast paced. That's myself. That's me. That's I can't play any other way. And I don't want to play any other way because any other way is not me. I'm not going to feel like, oh, I lost. I'm going to feel like, oh, that guy beat me because uh, I, I was tightened up or I, I did something that I don't normally do. So I tell people, you know, perfect example, if you got a, a bank shot, you know, like you can shoot this bank shot and you'll win. It's hill hill and you'll win the match. And normally you do this, you know, and you shoot that bank, you know, but you have a safety too. You can stick them right there and, and try to get a better shot. If you always shot that bank shot, you know, then all of a sudden now it's hill hill and you play safe. Well, you're not playing, you're, you're not playing within yourself. Yeah. You know what you would do. And that's how the, once you figure out your game and how to play your, within yourself, you're going to do the same stuff all the time. You're not going to have no qualms about it. You know, I joke around, I do all kinds of stuff because that's me every day. Yeah. You know, there, I'm not going to change. There's some science around that too. Like if you're in your natural state of being, you're going to perform better. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to be something you're not, you're not going to perform as well. And yep. so I love it. Yeah. They see that like the inner game of tennis, like they teaches you, right. That if you guys watch this, like if you're, if you're trying to impress somebody that's watching, that's not good. And if you're trying to, and if you're worrying about what other people are thinking, that's not good. And, you know, a lot of people always ask me, say, you know, I know, I know my, my friend told me just, you know, when pressure shots, just think positive. I said, no, 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 don't think positive. They said, you want to think about what you're doing right there. You know, you want to think, make, you know, make this bow and get shaped right here. Yeah. Nothing, you know, I don't care. A rainbow or unicorn ain't going to help me if I'm thinking about that. I got to think because it's taken away. A positive thought is taken away from that actual thought you need to be thinking of. Right. Yeah. So it's not think positive. It's just kind of, you know, think about what you're doing in the moment, stay in that moment. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you about the Moscone cup, just because you've been there so many years and, you know, you were so experienced. And so the United States, the last two years has really kind of shocked the world, right? They've gone in as big underdogs and they found a way to pull it out. And, you know, even with that long losing streak <clears throat> that they had, it was kind of shocking that one of those years they didn't, you know, upset them, but then they upset them and then they upset them again. Right. And almost every year now on paper, United States is the underdog, you know, because Europe just has so many top players. What do you think? You think they can pull off the three peat this year? Uh, I mean, I don't see why not. I think it's 50 50 with the way the break is right. See, years ago was uh, when I came on the scene. If you remember the uh, we still broke uh, the, the one was on the spot. Everybody made the corner bowl and you hit them head on. And you just try to park your rock and, and try to get a shot and run out. And everybody was breaking running racks. It was like it was like a big tennis match where everybody's holding serve. And the, the person that lost that match was the person that blinked first. Mm. Right. So and, you know, back when I played, it was always Europe that blinked first. They always dogged one shot here, one shot there. Just one little one little blink 
Well, that when they went to the cut break, if you remember 2006 or seven or whatever it was, they, um, they asked Johnny, Johnny was, was, was the captain or was the, you know, was the big one, you know, to, uh, I think it was a playing captain, maybe a forget or somebody, but Johnny agreed to put the nine on the spot and do the cut break because, and, and this is inside info that people didn't know is because Luke Riches, who was running it, wanted to give Europe a chance to win, to compete with us. Hmm. That's hundred percent facts. He said, what are we going to do to help Europe? Because it seems like Europe just wants to come here and have a vacation and they're not trying to win. Well, it wasn't that they were trying to, well, not trying to win. It's just that we we held serve and we played great under that pressure. We never blinked, you know? Yeah. We were used to, you know, breaking, making it. So when they went to the cut break, well, we never knew the cut break. So we were spotting them the biggest thing that you could have in a race to five format or whatever it was. And we're giving them about two games every set. And then we're like, dude, okay, let's go back. This ain't no fun for us. We don't know what we're doing with this cut break. And then they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to keep it the same way. Cut break. You know? So I was like, uh, so then I was like, okay, this is, yeah. So yeah. So that's, so once they change that, that change it. But if everything's equal and everybody's, you know, everybody's got the breakdown and, you know, like now the Americans been breaking, you know, for a while now the cut break and they, some of our guys even got it way better, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Shane and sky and, you know, all these guys, you know, uh, uh, Billy, you know, they got that cut break down now. Well, now, now all of a sudden it's an even playing field. Now, how, how do you like it now? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can win too. You guys are not stealing on the cut break anymore. So, so you have it still as, you know, pretty much a, you know, short races, a 50, 50 proposition, even though on paper, if you look at Europe, you know, they have several world champions and, you know, but you, you still think that, you know, because the U S now has control of that cut break and knows what they're doing with that break that really anybody can win. Yeah. I mean, I never, never seen a, I never, never seen a paper win a big pool match. So <laughs> right? I was like, after the match, you know, I was like, dude, you won six, five, but I got this paper here. It says I'm better. Like, uh, yeah. It's like, no, you still got to play. And That's then the guys that are breaking better is the one that, you know, they're the ones that, that are going to win it. So all you do, if you, if you want to look at the, um, there's a, a guy, a buddy that emails me all the stats from Moscone cup uh, all the time about, you know, what team makes balls and gets shots after the break. Yeah. And, Every time the teams that get the first shot after the break, you know, from, from when they break are the teams that win, yeah. you know, the stats don't lie. Right. It's, it's the break is the whole, you know, the whole game, you know, yeah. so whoever's shooting after the break, that's the team that's going to win. So if you really wanted to figure out, you know, who's going to win, you go in their practice room and you see who's breaking the best. And then you, <laughs> then you go and put a big bet on them. You yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. So, so Rodney, you talked about several uh, matchups that you had gambling and I heard a rumor uh, from a pretty reliable source that you beat the Taiwanese champion Yang for the cash back when he was pretty much the best player in the world. I think he had just, you know, not long before that, beaten Dennis a couple times in nine ball and ten ball. And uh, I heard that you beat him. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah. So I got. I got. Uh, let me. I'm gonna. Pre- I'm gonna uh, premise this with a little story. So. Everybody knows by now that in, when I won the U.S. Open in 96, I beat Efren in the finals. Um, I never got a chance to defend my title because I went away for four years. Mm-hmm. So I didn't come back for four years. You know, I didn't play. You know, I, I, I never picked up a cue. I never even thought about pool, nothing, right? So uh, go back to uh, 2000 and, 2002, I think it was. Yeah. I didn't play for four years, and now I'm I'm in Taiwan. Our first trip back, you know, going on over. I went Mika, Charlie Williams, Ra. Oh no, I didn't meet Rods that time. I think, and uh, Thorsten, like that. We're kind of going on the road, and we go to Taiwan, and now they got a whole contingent of Taiwanese players there, and we're in this pool room, and it's really really tight tables, right? Super super tight. That's all they gamble on over there is a real tight tables. That's how they, that's why they're so good, by the way, and they shoot so straight, and they they play good safe and all that. And, but um, so we get ready to um, uh, these guys. I'm not even thinking about playing because, you know, I haven't played in four years. So we go there and um, 
Alex, he had, one of the guys, the translator is like, Alex, you want to play, you know, the guy, you know, any of these guys, you know, like there's like five or six Taiwanese guys. They all want to gamble, right? Whatever we want to play for. They're just lined so up. They're <laughs> lined up to play all of us champions, right? So then, uh, so then Alex like, no, I'm not playing right now. You know, it's, it's, you know, I'm not hitting the balls real good. You know, I know I got to play good on this tight table, this and that. They ask, uh, then they ask Mika, Mika don't want to play. They ask Charlie William, of course, Charlie don't want to play. And then uh, a couple other guys were there, great players. And then um, then Charlie Williams asked me, he says, Rocket, Rocket, why do you play? We'll all put in some money. You play for like a couple thousand or whatever. I said, sure, I'll play. And then um, then they come back, right? He goes, talk to the guy. They come back. And then he said, uh, oh, no. He said, uh, uh, Morris, no, no, Morris, no action. Morris, no action. And I go, I go, what do you mean no action? It was like, dude, we haven't played in four years. So then, then the guy explained it. He says, uh, he points to each one of those guys, right? He points, he says, your game, you know, uh, he said, uh, his game, uh, tight pocket, down. He said, his game is tight pocket, down. He points to all these guys. Then he points to, he points to me, he goes, more this game, tight pocket, same. <laughs> so, so he didn't they know my game not going to change on the on the tight pockets so they didn't want to know because they seen me there when I, I played all those guys right and uh that story i was telling you about the guy that passed away that drank all the time chang mm -hmm. Ping. when i went to taiwan because uh uh efren uh Bustamani and antonio Linning, they all told me if you go to taiwan you're going to play on the tightest pocket table but if you play good you can win a lot of money so I went there, and the first match I played was him, the professor, and we played. He beat me 9-7 for 5,000. And then after that, everybody I played, I beat. So we must have won about 120,000 in that three weeks that we were there. And Yang and Chow and all those guys were, were some of the guys that I beat. I beat all those the guys. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't want to see no none of me after that. And then my buddy that I was with, he said, man, he, he said, I, I never seen somebody play such good pool for, for three weeks, boy, I never seen it. It's the tightest pocket tables. And I, I look, I go back now and I look at the tables because I seen one of the tables, you know, after that. And I was, he's like, you remember this table? I said, this is where you played? And I was like, dude, the balls don't even fit in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, dude, you never miss a ball on this table. Yeah. That's funny. You're yeah. dialed in. You're dialed in. I was, yeah, I was coming off the U.S. Open win, and you know, back then, yeah, it was, it was really, and I was playing all the time, and I was, and I could see, you know, my vision's real bad now. I got to get LASIK surgery again, I think. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, your vision, you know, it's, it's one thing you can't, uh, you can't out, outlast is Father Time, right? He's gonna come get you eventually. Yeah. So, so Rodney, one of the reasons that I'm doing this is to kind of extract some knowledge from the top players like yourself so that other aspiring players can kind of use that and get better. So, you know, you talked a little about the mental game and, you know, you referenced, um, you know, kind of uh, the tennis book. What advice could you give a player, um, you know, any advice at all about becoming a better pool player? You got to master that cue ball. That's the whole game. The cue ball is the whole game. If you don't know what the cue ball is doing at all moments and where it's going to end up, it doesn't matter where, you know, making shots or not, because you, you're going to put yourself in a disadvantage. So, you know, I, I would just say, you know, master that cue ball. So in any situation, you got to know what, what to do with that, with that. You know, the best thing was uh, a story about Buddy Hall that somebody told him. He was like, uh, I think Johnny Archer told me this story. He's like, somebody was watching uh uh, Buddy Hall practice right before a big match. You know, watch him practice for like an hour or two and he never missed the ball. And then he's like, man, he said, you got that cue ball trained. And then Buddy looks at him and says, well, I mean, he, I said, I ought to. I've raised him since he was a pup. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. yeah that was a good one I was like and so and buddy's the best cue ball ever in my opinion yeah. you know like you know efren is you know different level as far as you know he's the one that brought that kicking and stuff you know to the u.s you know was perica was the first one but efren was the one that was playing all those but yeah. perica was the first but then when efren came and started doing that's why he's the magician right he's like dude all these guys are trying to wail at the kicks and he's over there you know kicking soft and hooking them back they were in a coma but yeah, yeah. 
you know, when you told that buddy story, someone else was on here. I can't remember who it was right now, but they told a buddy story that was kind of similar. And I thought you were going down that route, but (laughs) somebody who didn't really know a whole lot about pool was watching buddy play. And then afterwards, you know, they had been told, Hey, this is the best player here. And afterwards they said, that guy's not the best player here. I never saw him make one hard shot. (laughs) He was in dead perfect position every single time. So, yeah, I tell people all the time, I said, my best tournament was the one I never shot a four foot shot. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So Rodney, you know, when I asked Alex this later in that interview with him, I said, who would you like to see me interview? He said you, and I was able to make that happen. Thank you for that. Uh, But is there someone that you'd like to see me interview somebody you think would be good for the fans to hear from? Yeah, my brother Raj Hundle. Yeah, yeah. You gotta get, you gotta get the, you gotta get Raj on there, the hitman. You gotta get, you gotta tell him, tell him I said he's gotta get on. Yeah, and plus it's perfect now because uh, uh, England just went back in lockdown, so he'd be happy to talk to you. So just another, another human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney, do you have any sponsors you want to thank? Uh, well, I want to thank Andy Cloth. Uh, I want to thank, uh, uh, well, I got, I'm using the best um, uh, break tips, by the way, striker break tips. So uh, if anybody can, you know, if you want to uh, Google or whatever striker break or message me, but yeah, it's best break tip out there, dude, trust me, you guys are going to love it. But um, yeah, striker break. And then, uh, you know, obviously TSPN, you know, so we got, um, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff with the rocket run out and stuff like that. But yeah, as far as, uh, you know, one of my good friends, uh, I'm using his cue right now, or a shaft was Foch Garcia out of California. Foch, I'm using his shaft right now. But um, the butt I'm using is uh, EDC, Everyday Carry. And this is my buddy, Jules Patterson. He works with Randy Mobley out in uh, Tampa area. And uh, so, um, yeah, Jules is a great guy. And uh, he, he, he really doesn't make cues, you know, too much, but uh, his cue, that's what I'm using now, the EDC. So if you see me playing with it, that's the everyday carry from Jules. But um, yeah, other than that, I don't, I don't, I don't have, uh, you know, I just try everything, right? I just try whatever's working. <laughs> or if I miss a ball, if I miss a ball, I'm like, dude, I'm not using this again. It's not my fault. It's got to be that. <laughs> this cue doesn't work. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think I got a right-handed cue by mistake. Yeah. So, so Rodney, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. And I just want to give you the opportunity to leave folks with uh, your final thoughts. Any uh, words of wisdom from Rodney Mars? Uh, shoot, just play pool, man. Love, love the game, and you know, um, you know, love each other, of course, because you know we're all we're all in it together. And uh, don't let this, you know, this time, you know, keep you guys from living life, you know, and enjoying life because. You know, you know, you look back, how many years you want to look back and say, man, I can't believe I wasted that time. You know, don't waste your life. You know, so are you going to get busy living or get busy dying? Right. I'd rather get busy living. Yep. So awesome. that's it, man. Smile, yeah. smile. It ain't hard. 